the time of Saul. It's the end of Judges, if you will, and there's still not a king in Israel. It's the early days of the nation of Israel. Uh, They're reigned by priests and judges. And there's a man named Elkina. Elkina is from Ramah. And though the Bible never really confirms or condemns polygamy, it's never a good thing. It's still kind of an ancient uh, medieval thing of tribes. So there's this man, a godly man, named Elkina from Ephraim. He has two wives. We already can kind of start seeing some tension there, some dysfunction. Of course, they live in two different places. At least he's that smart. And um, one is named Penina. She has many children. But the other one's named Hannah. She has none. And in that day and age, to be a woman, to be a mother without children, you have the worst situation of all. It's a very patriarchal society, a very chauvinistic society. Women are valued by not only if they have children, but how many children they have. And if they have a son, it's an agrarian society. You need children to work. And of course, to keep your tribal name going, you want to have a son, and Hannah had none. So not only is she childless, but she also is being tormented, vexed. Literally, literally, the word pecked on is used there uh, by her rival Penina. And she is heartbroken. Broken. It says that she goes on year after year praying and asking God for a son. And she has none. And every year, if that's not to make matters worse, they take the horrible family vacation. You ever been on a horrible family vacation where everybody's not getting along or a, a bad holiday? Well, imagine that every year as this family went to Shiloh to worship. And they would travel, and along the way, that 26 miles from Ramah to Shiloh, Paniah would just keep, how's your baby? Oh, you don't have a baby. Oh, listen, oh, you want to help me feed my baby? Oh, you don't have a baby. And she would just torment and torment Hannah. And they would go to the tabernacle, where every year the head of the family would take a, a ram or a lamb or a sacrificial animal for each member of the family. and would take that to the high priest, and they would cut the shoulder, right shoulder, the right breast, that was what Leviticus said, give that to the priest and then give the rest of the food to each member of the family for the sacrificial feast afterwards. It says that <clears throat> we know a little bit about Elkanah's heart because when he would sacrifice for Penina, he would give her her part and her sons, but he would secretly give Hannah two portions because he loved her. So if that wasn't dysfunctional enough, now there's a dinner that's going crazy, right? So that's where we are. <clears throat> Hannah's there at the tabernacle. Elkanah comes back from... Uh, given the sacrifice, and Hannah won't eat. And she's crying. And he asked the dumbest question in the scriptures, probably. Men, men we should know better. <laughs> kind of says this. Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Is your heart not sad? Never ask this question, guys. Am I not worth to you more than ten sons? <laughs> Never say, you love me more than the kids. It just doesn't always go well. And then comes the part where we're reading. If you'll follow with me. 1 Samuel 1, nine, the rest of the story that leads to the glory. <clears throat> After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me. Do not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She's now bargaining with God. After 10, 15 years of asking, now she's ready to bargain even. I'll give him up. She continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. 
But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. And listen to how she uses the metaphor. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, We'll go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition they have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to the house of Ramah. And Elkinah knew Hannah his wife. They had intimate relations. And the Lord remembered her, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So we are starting a new series as we move into this Advent season towards the high, high holiday and the highest in the Christian calendar of Easter. And we're starting a new series called Prayers That Guide Us. We're just going to look at different prayers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and how they teach us to pray. And I felt none greater than to start with this wonderful prayer of Hannah, the things she teaches us. Hannah shows me how to pray. She shows me how to pray stubbornly. She shows me how to pray effectively. And here's just a few things that I pick up that help me that might help us on our prayer life. Are we praying well? Are we seeing answers? Are we learning what it means to pray effectively? Let's look at those four things. Just praying stubbornly. First, we see that Hannah prays in the right name to the right God. She goes to the right person. She prays in the right name, the name of Jesus. Then second, we see that she prays persistently. 10, 15 years for the same thing. She keeps on praying. Third, we see that she prays believing. She prays with faith, not just wondering or doubting if God can do it or just throwing up a prayer maybe. She prays believing it's going to happen. And I love this last part. She prays big. Hannah prays big. Can we do that? So what are some things maybe that we can learn from these four things? Praying in the name of Jesus. Pray persistent. Pray believing. Pray big. First, praying in the name of Jesus. As you notice, Hannah... We look at praying in the name. Hannah does not pray to uh, Balaam. She doesn't pray to Ashtaroth. She could have gone to many different gods because there's all kind of pagan gods around. She could have given up on God, tried her luck on another god. But no, she keeps praying the right name. She prays to Yahweh. She prays to the great Jehovah. Well, Jesus says the first key to getting the answer prayer is to pray to the right God and in the right name. Christ says this, John 14, 14, as clear as it can be. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, in our universal tolerance society, we want to say, well, God God can answer any prayer. We can pray in any name. Jesus says, not so. He says, you pray anything in my name, I will do it. Only Jesus gives us access to God the Father, to the high and holy God, Jehovah. He's the right name and the right God, no matter how incorrect and unacceptable it is these days, how it seems so inclusive when it's not so exclusive excuse me jesus gives us and the only one that gives us access to god the father in the days of the kennedy administration he was a very very busy and and very scheduled president and it was said that his he would fill his his entire day up with 15 minutes appointments starting at eight o'clock in the morning and go away to five or six and you could only come in that visitor's door in the oval office and you were escorted in you had 15 minutes you were escorted out you could only come in and out that door but if you know the Kennedy family and looked at pictures, you had to be a visitor to come in this door, but over here was the family door. And John F. Kennedy Jr., 
five years old, six years old. He would just wander in whenever he wanted to. During the meetings with the highest heads of countries, of states, of nations, of businessmen, John F. Kennedy, he would just wander in when he wanted to. He would crawl up and sit in his dad's lap during these worldwide discussions, even during the Bay of Pigs discussion. He would sit under uh, John F. Kennedy's desk. There's pictures of him because he could come as he want in and out freely because he knew the father. He had access. He was part of the family. And the scripture says that that is only how God will he- answer our prayers. Oh, he hears all prayers. But he can't answer the prayer of the visitor, the stranger. He can only answer the prayer of the family member who has access through Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus gives us access, he's the door, he says. He is the key. He's our, he's our passcode. He's the locker combination. Only in the name of Jesus do we have access to God the Father. That's the words of Christ. So instead of all other religions, you have man reaching up to God, Muslim or Bohama, Confucius, Rastafarianism, being religious, uh, Mormonism. Those are all men trying to reach up to God, but only through Jesus Christ, as Paul says, do we have God becoming a man and coming down and giving us access. Jesus is the only name under which prayers can actually be answered. Also, just like Eli, Jesus plays the same role. Who, this woman who prayed, Hannah, who prayed over and over again and kept trying and couldn't get it right, she finally found the right man to go to the right God. She finally comes to the high priest. Only then had prophets, priests, and kings were the only ones that had the Holy Spirit in the time of the Old Testament. She finally comes to Eli. Eli comes to her, and he asks her her prayer request, and then it's done. When she tells him what she needs, he says, it's going to happen. And literally that night, she conceives. And nine months later, Samuel is born. Eli goes and takes her prayer and takes it up to the high priest into the temple and says, Yahweh, listen to your child. The scripture says that Jesus is the exact same person in our lives. That he, because he came a man, in fact, listen to what Hebrews says, so much better than me. Hebrews says this, since then, we have that scripture. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet is without sin. And I love this charge, this challenge. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Just like Hannah, that Jesus Christ, if we know him personally, he becomes our, first he intercedes for us for our salvation by his blood. He, he ushers us into the family. We are now in the family. We're not visitors anymore. We're not aliens anymore waiting outside the door. We get to come in the private door through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus literally takes our sins and takes us and walks us up to the tabernacle, to the high priest, to the Holy of Holies, and says, this is our son. This is my daughter. Hear their prayer. Lord, hear your do your will in their life. We have a high priest. Are you going to your high priest? He's daily waiting for us to bring us his, his. And yet we go to friends and we go to uh, horoscopes and we go to our own wisdom. When we're wasting our time, if we haven't gone to the high priest who represents us. So besides praying to the right name and to, with the right person, we also learn from hand to pray persistently. I just love her persistence. If you've seen and watched the Big Bang Theory, the OCD scientist named Sheldon, he's very obsessive, obsessive compulsive. Sheldon lives across the apartment from Penny. Anytime he wants Penny, he goes to her door. Penny, 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 Penny. And he'll do that 
until you answer the door. Anybody have kids like that when you're in the bathroom or something? Mom? Mom? <laughs> He's persistent. Jesus says just what Hannah does. He says when you pray, you should pray persistently like this. It says that he, he talks about a parable. He talks about this woman. It's a, it's a story. He says, here's how you should pray. There was a woman who had been treated unjustly, and every day she goes to the court. Sir? Sir? And she makes her petition, and he turns her down. She says, she keeps coming and coming and coming. And finally, it says, this pagan judge says, I am going to give this woman whatever she wants. She's driving me nuts. I'm going to grant her petition. And then Jesus says, that's from a pagan judge. Imagine what your heavenly father will do for you if you keep praying. It's not because he's selfish or stingy or he's trying to trick us. It's because he's working on our prayers. He's working on our heart. He's purifying our petitions so they begin to align to the will of God because we don't know what we really want. Only God the Father can show us what we want and need. Are you praying persistently? Ask, seek, knock, the door shall be open. So pray in the right person, pray in the right name, pray persistently, but I love that she prays believing. It says that Eli, as soon as he hears her prayer, says, God will grant your petition. Hannah's response is not, are you sure? I've been waiting a long time. I I don't really believe it. Are you sure about this? But just like when Mary is told by Gabriel, it's going to be, it's going to happen that you're going to have a son. Hannah says the same thing. She said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And she goes and she eats and drinks and she's happy. She believes immediately. She doesn't beg. She doesn't doubt. She says, it'll be done. God told me it's going to be done. James 5, 15 says it like this. It says, if if you're together, it's, it's it's the classic Scripture on prayer. It says, pray to one another, confess your sins. And then he says this, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and will raise him up. The prayer of faith, are we praying believing? Not a lottery prayer, not a flip of the coin prayer, not a if you want to Jesus prayer. We're praying in faith. I may have told you this story before if you know it, but I've seen this and it changed my life. In the uh, in 1980s, I took a group of Texas Tech students to Chiapas, Mexico, and we were going door to door sharing our testimony at in these little banana huts up in this dull banana plantation area. These people lived up in the hills in these banana huts. And every night they would come down. We would, I would preach in the cement cinder block house. And, and uh, people would come from all over. It was fascinating. But one afternoon, this group of villagers from another village, about three or four hour walk away, they showed up and they said they wanted the pastor to come pray for infirm, sick, sick child, infirm, infirm niña. Right, that's the best I can do in Spanish. It's never been good. We go to pray, and they take me and this little group, and we go way up into the mountains, into the hills, and we go into this little bitty village, 50 people maybe, and it's just like something out of the New Testament. It was overwhelming to me. And they take me back into this one hut, and there's families in there crying and praying. They take me back to this one little room, and just like in the gospel, there's this little boy maybe three or four years old and he's laying he's sweating he's got fever he looks he he looks horrible and i am like lord what am i doing here this kid needs a doctor and the elders of the church this little church come in and they say oh ramos let's pray pastor pray so i start to pray and they stop me alto alto stop and they open up and i just know enough spanish they open up and the good i know enough about james they open up their spanish bible and they point to james five and they point here says, Mono, lay, lay hands, lay hands. I'm, okay, they're being very biblical. Good for them. I, we should be. So we all lay our hands. I start praying. They, alto, alto, pastora. He stopped me again. They get to the point and says, anoint with oil. I'm like, anoint with oil? 
I just happened to reach in. I had a small little bottle of Brut Cologne because I smelled so bad out there. I bring up my little bottle of Brut Cologne and I dab it and I put it on this. I'm wondering if anybody's going to laugh at me. I anoint him with my cologne and we begin to pray and they begin to pray and pray. And it was overwhelming together, pouring their hearts out to God. I am the amateur. They're the pros. And they pray. And we close in prayer. And I walk out and I feel silly. Who is this white gringo that does not know how to pray that's supposed to be a pastor? It, it was overwhelming. So we walk back to the village that night, the next morning. And I'm thinking, well, that was a waste of time. The next morning, we hear these shouts, these shouts of joy. And we walk out in the street. And this whole village has this young boy. And he's healed. And I'm scared. I fell on my knees in that kitchen saying, Lord, it was not my faith. It was their faith. Prayers prayed in faith. The one who is sick, the prayer of faith will save him. Are you praying believing? Christ calls us to pray believing. And then actually calls us to pray big. Are we praying big prayers? Hannah prays for a big prayer. You know, she gets a bigger answer than she even asked for. Her prayer is beyond what she even asked not only does she get a son a year later and names him Samuel, which means, look what God did. So how do you like to introduce your son? This is my son, look what God did. <laughs> it was a great thing every time his name was announced. The first prophet, the first high priest, the first judge, he picks the kings. Uh, she takes him back after he's weaned to go to and to serve in the temple. But then in her prayer in uh, 1 Samuel 2, it says... If you look at verse 5 in this minute, it says, The barren woman has borne seven children, even more than Paniah. Not only did she just have Samuel, man, the gates, Samuel, when the gates were open, she ends up having seven children. How about that, huh? How about now? Look, check it out now, Paniah. She has seven. She prays a prayer and gets a big answer. If you look at what Paul says in Ephesians, I love this verse. We use this as a salutation, but listen to what it says. Now to him the right person, the right name, the person to pray to, our high priest. Now to him who is able to do how much? <laughs> Where? Far. Listen to the superlatives. More abundantly than all we ask or think. Some say wish. Some say desire. According to the power at work within us. God wants to do beyond our prayers. God wants to go further, higher, bigger, larger than we pray. Someone says you, may, you pray small prayers, you get small answers. You pray big prayers, you get big answers. We just praying for parking spaces and passing the test and football teams to win. Well, the Eagles was probably a big answer. That was our miracle. But are we praying big prayers? We're we praying small prayers. How big are your prayers? You're praying for giant stuff. Healings like Orlando talked about. People come to Jesus that we never thought would. Uh, host c- churches to be turned upside down. Are we praying big prayers to big God? <clears throat> about, gosh, when I was in my 20s again, I graduated from UT and went to... Houston, it was on Young Life staff, and I, my first year, I inherited this group of senior guys, senior high school boys, and we began meeting every Friday and doing some, <clears throat> just discipling. We were studying prayer, and they were kind of a little bit, eh, a little bit cynical, I tell like, God does what he wants to do, God doesn't hear me, God's in charge, why pray, it's not going to make a difference. I said, well, I'm going to step out here, <laughs> I said to my, in my heart, all right, guys, let me just show you how powerful the Lord is. I want you to think of the wildest, most pagan kid, the most lost kid at Westchester High School. I want you to think of him. And they all at once said, Tim Harrington. Nobody, nobody bad in the night. Tim Harrington. Okay. I don't know who Tim is. <clears throat> we're going to pray that Tim Harrington comes to our Young Life Club. And we're going to pray that Tim Harrington comes to know Jesus. <laughs> Tally, you've lost it. That's crazy. 
They laughed at me. They laughed during the prayer. And then we walked out. And that was October, November, December, January. We'd forgotten about it. I had forgotten about this great bold test, so to speak, or this challenge to God. And there was a night just about this time of year. <clears throat> it's a Young Life Club, 100 kids in this room, in this clubhouse. About 10 minutes in as we were singing, the door slams open, literally. And in walks this kid, hair all over the place, red face. You could tell he was drunk, little drill in his mouth. He walks in and goes, this young life! He walks in, comes and sits at the back. And those high school senior guys are looking at me like, you set this up. And I go, because I don't even know who he is. They, they thought, you paid this guy off. I'm like, no, it's Tim Harrington. And I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. He comes to that Young Life Club, and then the next Young Life Club, and the next. And he starts coming to Bible study. And then <laughs> about, gosh, almost 40 years ago in my apartment, sitting in a chair, I can still see it. Tim Harrington walked in and prayed to receive Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this next Sunday, I'm flying to Austin, Texas. Tim Harrington will pick me up. He will drive me to the UT Austin Young Life Banquet that he's helping put on, that I get to speak at. Beyond what we imagine or think or dream possible. Are we praying big prayers? Someone says it's like we have a billion dollars in the bank and we take out 20 bucks a day. Someone has said it's like saving up all your money and going on a vacation to London and just getting there and eating at the concession stand in the airport and then flying back home. Someone said we're like people who have a free week pass at Disney and we just go hug the big rat and leave. Are you praying big prayers? I love this quote. Thou art coming to a king. Huge petitions with you bring. Thou art coming to a king. Huge petitions with you bring. Are we praying big prayers? Are you praying believing? Are we praying persistently? Are we praying in the name of the only one that God the Father will hear, his son? Look at how Jesus prays as we close. There's a place where Jesus prays, like Hannah, if you will. He prays first to the right person, to the right name. He goes in and falls on his face and says, Daddy, Abba. Father, that's the right name. He who has the access from eternity to his daddy says, Daddy, he prays persistently three times. Daddy, is there any way we cannot do this? Is there any way this cup can pass from me? I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to be separated from you because we've been together eternally. I don't want to be separated from you, Daddy. Is there any other way? He prays persistently. But then he prays believing believing father if you will he knows his dad can do anything daddy if you want to if it's your will he prays believing that god is going to do what he wants to do what he can do and then he prays big it's bigger than his prayer his prayers can we get can we not do this but he prays big when he says thy will be done oh boy that's the big prayer i'd rather not be separated from you even for three days but thy will be done that's the big prayer Because then the father says nothing and lets him go and puts his son on the cross. And that's the big answer. He's our big answer. He saves the world. He so loves the world that God gives his son his most precious possession. So he gives his son and treats him like an outsider, closes the door and treats him like a visitor so we can be a part of the family and have access. Can we pray like Hannah as a church? Are you praying in the right name to the right God?
Are you going to your high priest every day who's just waiting for you to come and take you to the presence of the Father? Are we just blown by that? Going and doing whatever we think is more important. (laughs) What a joke. What a joke in my life. Are you praying persistently? God, what do you want to have happen? This lost son, this broken relationship, this torn apart family. God, please. Are you praying big like Hannah? And you pray in, in faith. Someone said, when we get to heaven, we'll be amazed at how much God did in the world in answer to prayer and surprised at how little we prayed. Let's not be surprised.